powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, once again, and welcome to Better Than Before, the CEO Leaders Podcast Show. I'm your host, Tony Richards, along with Chief Producer William Foster. Hello. And we have one clear objective to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, C-Suite Radio Network, and a host of other locations. Thank you so much for subscribing to our podcast. And we have a new episode for you every Tuesday. On the show today, I will cover for you seven qualities that I consider very essential for awesome team leaders. That's all coming up on today's show. Check out our website for a bunch of resources, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Subscribe to our Monday morning memo e-newsletter. Find out how you can get audios, videos, uh, visit our podcast archives. And I personally post a new blog post every Friday at clearvisiondevelopment.com. How are you, Bill? I'm good. Thanks, Tony. How about you? Good. I'm fine. And so I was reading this article by Fred Engelfried, and it just struck me because I so much agree with so much of what he had to say in this article. Strategic planning is a process, not an event. And uh, this goes along with the philosophy that I have espoused many times, and I think I've talked about it here on the podcast, that if we looked at things more like a process and less like an event, we'd be so much better off. And strategic planning is one of those things. A lot of times if people are told that they're going to have a strategic planning meeting or retreat, you you, you would think they just ate some bad sushi or something. They just look like, oh my God, not another planning retreat. But if you approach it as a process rather than an event, um, well, it, it's the way to do it, I think, because then the document that you turn out becomes comprehensive and it's not something that's just, I'll tell a quick story. I had a prospect, uh, come visit me once and I had been to their website and printed off their strategic plan. And it was a three ring binder so thick. I mean, it was pretty thick and I had it on my desk and they said, what's that? I said, well, this is your strategic plan. And they're like, oh yeah, we forgot we even did that. So (laughs) strategic planning is quite often just a task to be accomplished rather than a resource to be used. And so you want to create something that's living and breathing and it's followed and worked on and executed weekly and refreshed and measured every quarter. Another thing that Fred says in his article that I agree with is you want to limit the number of initial participants. I've seen meetings where there were so many people that were trying to participate. It was more like an audience rather than an interactive panel of people. You can always add others to the mix as you go, 
it's a little more difficult to exclude people who've already been invited or maybe they've attended in the past and now you're going to tell them they can't come. So you want to make sure to handle the attendee part of it very well. And then you want people to be prepared very, very well. So they need to know what you're going to do during the retreat at least you know the first couple of times you work with them because you're asking them to step out of their comfort zone of their regular duties and responsibilities and become free thinkers and that's very difficult for people because when you're away from the office what are you thinking about the office and when you're at the office what are you thinking about being away from the office so you've got to get that alignment of thinking of you know we're here to get out of the box right that's a uh, I, I hate that I use that term but I mean it's it's you got to shift your paradigm which means get out of the get out of the box of what that means so um, it's a difficult adjustment is the bottom line and uh, if you've got phone calls and emails and text going on, you got to let them know, hey, we're going to cut off the technology and only use it when there's a break or something. And then you got to come back into the room and let's get focused on what we're trying to accomplish here. So I definitely agree with the things in this article and especially the concept that strategic thinking and execution planning is how we break it up at Clear Vision. But it's definitely a process, not a one-time thing. It's something that should continually be going on. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Coming from Kelly Blue Book's most trusted brand for four years running. The Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. University Subaru, your locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Do you apologize for your behavior? Are you constantly worrying about what others think about you or frequently criticize yourself? Self-esteem affects everything we do and is one of the key indicators of success in business. Tony's new self-esteem workshop will help you develop the tools necessary to empower you to overcome the pressure and unfamiliarity of professional and personal circumstances. Through Tony's guidance, you'll learn how to perceive threats and vulnerabilities to better prepare for challenging situations, resolve the baggage that keeps you back, and improve self-esteem when you need it most. Join us on May 28th for this one-day self-esteem workshop space is limited. Don't let low self-esteem hold you back from living the life you'd like to live. Register online now at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and my guest today is K.J. Blattenbauer, an entrepreneur, business strategist, publicist, and dress designer, born and raised in North Dakota. She describes herself as a small-town girl fueled by passion and lots of Dr. Pepper. 
Through award-winning practices, world-class training programs, and one-on-one strategy sessions, she's helped people chase their dreams and achieve their goals. She has a strong desire to help others, whether it's assisting them to feel more confident in their clothes, showing them how to monetize their skills, or gifting them an easy-to-follow path to becoming a household name. Approaching life and clients from a place of service is her jam. She lives in Dallas, Texas now, and I'd like to welcome to the show K.J. Blattenbauer. Hi, K.J. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. You bet. I, I'm, I'm doing wonderful this morning. It's, it's uh, very wet here in Missouri. We have had uh, lots of rain, and it just seems like snow uh, in the winter has changed over to rain here in the spring, and it just won't quit. Yeah, it, no, but it's good because that helps things grow, right? Yeah, you bet. So you've had an interesting route that you've taken. So you grew up in North Dakota, uh, and we talked uh, earlier, my wife also grew up in North Dakota, and then you moved to San Diego. My wife also did that, moved to San Diego. Um, my wife moved to Missouri after that. Well, no, she moved to Kansas, then Missouri, and you have ended up in Texas. Tell me a little bit about how all that came about. Sure. So I am born and raised in North Dakota, um, which is amazing. But when you want to do, when you have bigger aspirations, when you want to work for bigger companies, sadly, you have to move away from home. There just aren't enough in North Dakota, especially when you're trying. I was majoring in publicity. I wanted to do PR. I wanted to work with all the big outlets. Um, So I actually did 13 years in Minneapolis working for PR agency and corporations before I decided I couldn't take the cold anymore. And so I didn't know a single person, a single company, anything about San Diego or California really in general. I just knew it was warm. And so I took the fastest train out of there I could one January. And um, I spent a good chunk of time there. But being a Midwestern girl, you really miss one weather and having, you know, rain different seasons um but i needed to get back to midwestern values so i'm now in dallas and it is absolutely amazing the people are wonderful the personalities are great and it's true what they say everything really is bigger in texas (laughs) texas is one of my favorite places i've told the story before i don't think i've ever told it on the podcast but i visited waco uh, which is just south of dallas And a friend of mine invited me to come down and work on a project with them and uh, invited me to stay in their home. Well, they had um, light switch covers that were shaped like Texas. They had the Texas state flag as the blanket on the bed. Uh, They had pictures on the wall uh, that were Texas-based. And uh, there was an interesting sign over the bed that I noticed as soon as I got there. It was, welcome to our bed and breakfast. Make your own bed and make your own breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, no, that feels feels like it's very Texas. They're really proud of being Texans, and it's kind of contagious. Yeah. You uh, have lived on opposite ends of the Great Plains now. Yeah, I feel like I've conquered it all. So you have a wide and varied practice. Let's start with the PR part of it, the public relations uh, side. So what is, uh, what is it about public relations that's really effective as we are in 2019 now? I think with all the flashy tools that you can have to promote yourself or your brand or your business, what's great about public relations is, one, it's free. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg like Facebook ads. You don't have to learn a ton of technology or even a ton of steps to get it going like you might have to with social media or apps or any of the latest 
you know, golden objects the gurus are telling you to go for. Public relations has been the same for decades. And it's the same simple processes. It's the same simple steps. And it's just getting your name out there in a genuine way that gives you third-party validation and word-of-mouth referrals. Because at the end of the day, people will look at your fancy ad. They might click on your Facebook link. But if Sally down the street tells them that you are the person to go to for whatever your area of expertise is, they're going to listen to the person that they kind of know and trust down the street. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know that we talk a lot about brand uh, here because we we have a couple of brand experts in our practice. Um, and I think people are learning more about brand and brand development. And uh, for years, executives have been uh, versed in marketing and this, that, and the other. But you don't hear a lot about PR. What do executives need to know in this day and time about public relations? They, I think they need to know that it's the best way to build your brand and get the word out about your business. Um, you just need to truly understand what it is. And again, it's word of mouth. It's third-party validation. It's other people speaking on your behalf. But what executives really need to know is how do they want their customers or clients to think, feel, and talk about their brand. And they have to make sure that whatever those words are, that's what they're using to externally promote. What you say and how you act and the appearance that you give in representation of your brand is what your customers are then going to mirror back to you. So you got to be really careful that when you're working on your brand, it's not just about the flashy logo, right? It's not about the perfect colors. It's not about how cool your website looks, um, which I'm sure that your experts can agree. It's also how you make people feel when they're interacting with your organization or when they come in contact with you or anyone that works with you. And so it's really honing in on the keywords that you want people to think, feel, um, and have about your brand and then pushing those out to people constantly. Um, what's the difference uh, between the work you do and say a PR firm or a PR agency? There really isn't a difference. It's just probably the size of clients, the size of teams. Um, a lot of PR agencies are only going to focus on one niche or industry. Um, I kind of run all over the board, which is the great thing about working for yourself, that it can never be a dull moment. You can have multiple things. But truly, it's probably how much they're going to charge you a month versus what I charge you a month and scope of work and employees. So what what's the one thing that a PR agency wouldn't want us to know? A PR agency doesn't want you to know that you can do your own PR. You don't have to have a team of 20. You don't have to pay a fancy um, firm out of New York or one of the big cities. You, you don't need a publicist or a PR person. You can actually teach yourself. You can follow simple steps and do your own PR. Now, I get when you're the CEO of a company, you're going to run out of time, but that doesn't mean you can't teach someone underneath you or have them learn to do your own PR. You don't have to hire out for this. You don't have to find the expert. You can easily be your own expert because it really boils down to six or seven easy steps. Do clients hire you to do that, teach people in their company or... Yes, yes. I have a variety of clients that come on. There are some people who just want it done for them and they're great because then I can just, I can do what I'm good at. Um, I have a course where people can learn step-by-step -step how to be their own publicist. And then I have clients that take part in small group trainings every once in a while where I teach them, okay, here, here are the steps you need to do. I show them how to do it and then I turn them loose and they're on their own. So what's the difference in, or is there a benefit? I get where PR is useful for companies and, and brands and products. Uh, what about individual people? Is it useful for them too? Yes. PR can be used 
for companies, brands, but it's also key for individuals. So if you think about it, when it's coming towards the end of the year and you have your end of the year review, you might be nicer to your boss. You might be coming in early. You might be highlighting all the amazing things you've done all year, but you're really only doing that in the October, November, and December timeframe, right? Because you want that end of the year review to go well. You want that bonus. But PR can be done all year long. It's how you serve others. It's how you show up for the people in the corner office. It's how you work with your other employees. It's working on your own reputation and making sure that how you position yourself, how you are in meetings, how you are every day, how your achievements get highlighted. It's making sure that you're doing that in a proper way so you can end up in the corner office. You know, CEOs don't just get there by their great work. They get there by their great work and also promoting their great work in the right way. And that's how PR can help you as an individual. Yeah. So tell me about some of the types of clients you work with. I work from anyone from people who have side hustlers and maybe make jewelry for Etsy all the way to professional athletes, whether they're dealing with charitable organizations and they want to promote their foundations or they're in crisis. Um, I've dealt with health and fitness clubs and promoting marathons and half marathons. I've also dealt with chemical companies, whether it's goodwill, community service, internal communications, or a crisis they might be facing. Well, without betraying any confidentiality, could you give me a, an example of a crisis situation that might arise for someone in that situation? Sure. I think with chemical companies, it's always people are very concerned about what's in the ground around them, what's in the water around them, what is the news promoting about what's dangerous, and it's just educating people. So it's a simple education process. It can be done in articles, interviews, podcasts, even going door to door or holding town halls or sessions, but just educate them, educating them on, okay, you're hearing this on the news, but the real story is this. Um, you know, and then answering their questions and being there for them. That's just goodwill PR and it goes a long way. On the athlete side of things, it's, it, it, they're famous. Most of them are young kids and then overnight they have a ton of money and with having a ton of money and fame comes sometimes poor choices or choices that you wouldn't think would be a poor choice in the moment, but it's making sure that you're properly positioning yourself, right? You're not posting things you shouldn't be on Instagram. You're making sure you're doing the right thing for the community. You know, they, they get these million dollar bonuses and salaries and then all of a sudden everyone who has ever heard of you pretends they're family and they want a handout. And it's just making sure that the right people are around you and how you're promoting yourself and putting yourself out there in the world. But a crisis can come in, in any form. I mean, it can be, if you're a mom and pop shop or you're a small brand or business, it can be a negative review for you on Yelp. And it's the proper way to handle that. Um, that falls into a lot of the PR training that we do because that, that can end a lot of organizations. It, it can end a lot of career. Nobody wants bad press. So I think uh, the most um, notable case study of some of that has been Tiger Woods. You know, he was a phenomenally, or still is phenomenally gifted, uh, achieved a lot at a very young age, and uh, then had a, a situational crisis, as you describe it, and just in the last month has won another Masters and is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So what about that particular situation have you taken note of, or do you study those kinds of things? Oh, I study those things all the time because it fascinates me. Um, and it's a, he is an excellent choice. Um, so I'm so glad that you brought him up. So with Tiger, it's a situation of gets fame, grows up in fame, everyone loves him, can do no wrong, right? He's the boy next door. Um, 
he's great at golfing, but he's not surrounding himself with the right people, right? So he got into trouble because we're all flawed human beings, right? Like we all make mistakes. He made some big ones on a public stage and then they didn't handle it the right way. His management came out with this really weird excuse that you knew was phony when if he had just been transparent and upfront, like I made a mistake, here's what happened, it's my personal life. You know, you have a personal life too. I'm, I'm you know, not like you can relate, but he should have come out right away and apologized. He didn't do that. They did this weird, sketchy, oh, it didn't really happen, and then this hideaway. And I think that set them back. I think, think that set him back with money and sponsors, and I think it set him back with his rise back because America loves authenticity and not the fake word that you see people throw around on social media, but they truly love when you're being transparent and honest with them. Everybody makes mistakes, you know? We're, we all have our flaws. He should have apologized because America loves a bounce back story. And you can see that now, like everyone loves Tiger again. They're all so happy that he's back. Everyone's forgotten the DUI. They've forgotten the drugs. They've forgotten the extramarital stuff. But he could have gotten there faster. And it took him many years to win back the love of people because he didn't just come clean right away. He didn't just say, I was wrong. This shouldn't have happened. I'm working to fix this. I'm working on myself. I'm going to show you how I'm fixing myself. And he could, have, he could have shortened that span of things that were great. And I think that's the difference between him and others. So there was that other golfer. I can't even think of his name right now, but I can see his face. But he won like $50 million, and then he barely gave his caddy five. Like he didn't even give him 10% of what he's winning. And, he, and no one said anything about it till he got called out publicly for it. And then all of his golf buddies were like, you mean you stiffed your caddy? Like your caddy helped you win that huge prize. Was it Matt Kuchar? Maybe. I don't, I don't really know which one of them. It was recently. And he just looked like such a jerk. Like, you're making all this money. All you had to do is just give money to the right person. But you got called out publicly for not doing the right thing. And then you tried to defend his decision to not do the right thing. No, buddy. You should have just sat down, been like, you know what? I made a mistake. I didn't know I was going to win this much. We agreed to this ahead of time. I should have realized it wasn't just that agreement. It's about the big relationship and moving forward. And I did just win a ton of money. And give him what was right. He would have never had that crisis. But instead, now he is, he lost his, everyone thought he was this great guy on tour, whether he was or not. He lost that status. Everyone in America knows he's a cheapskate. Nobody likes a cheapskate. And they also know that he's kind of not a guy you'd want to hang out with at the bar because he can't do the right thing even when the public spotlight is on him. What typically happens, and I'm sure it runs the range, but I'm just curious what have you seen as far as um, what are people in these types of situations apt to do? Are they apt to just go on like life is normal and just ignore what's going on? Do they tend to jump in bed and cover up their head with the blanket and not come out for days? What are the, what is, what's going on with them psychologically when these things are going on? I think it matters how long they've been in the role that they're in. I think if they're new to it and a sensitive soul, they'll want to jump in bed and hide. I think if they are, have been in the game for a while, they will look to the people that they pay handsomely to handle it and be like, this is the situation. Here's what happens. You need to handle this. Um, and, and then they go about their day. I think there are a few, like the, some of the folks involved in the, the college scandal crisis, right? Mm -hmm. I think there are a few, like Lori Laughlin, who really don't get it. Like they really don't understand you did something wrong. You totally betrayed what America thought of you. You don't look like a good person right now. They'll hide their head in the sand until there's no point to it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, they all kind of they turn to a respected person and you have to make sure that the person giving you advice on 
how you should be publicly handling things knows what they're doing. The same person that handled Tiger in the beginning is the same is the person that handled that Kucher scandal with the caddy. And clearly he has not learned in a couple decades how to handle things properly publicly. Well, certainly here in uh, 2015, 2016, we had a situation at the University of Missouri where um, we had, uh, you know, a student who was on a hunger strike and uh, we had other students supporting them. We had uh, demonstrations on campus. Uh, we, we had uh, all kinds of stuff going on here in Columbia that clearly was not handled properly for the university and uh, caused the dismissal of several uh, administrative officials and caused uh, some of the athletic people to be gone and, and some other stuff. Now they've got that back on the right track uh, in the last couple of years. But when you're in a situation like that, and it's just so complex and so big, there's only so much you can control, right? How do you know when you're starting to turn the tide and it's, and it's going back in your favor instead of working against you? Remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your parents came to you and they gave you a chance to come clean? No one as a child came clean the first time, right? We kind of denied it because we thought, well, we can, let's see how much we can get away with or I don't want to get in trouble. Like nobody wants a spanking, that sort of thing. I think, I think as adults, we're still all like that. So when you're in the midst of a scandal like that one, no matter how it impacts you or could impact you, we always want to think the worst, right? Like the sky's always falling. We're always really worried. We're probably embarrassed. You know, we're so concerned about what others are going to think. I think you need to take a step back. And write down what the real situation is, right? Because there's how you're feeling, there's what's really happening, and somewhere in the middle is the truth of the situation. When situations are like that, when it's one side saying one thing and it's another side saying another thing, and they're starting to fire tons of high-level executives or let people go from posts they've had for many years, I think you really need to look at, okay, what's the situation? Is it this and we need to let this person tell their side? Is it the other thing and we need to let the person tell their side? What is really the truth of it? And then it's having someone that's neutral calmly handle it in the middle. And I think that's what a lot of people overlook. They think that some of the biggest mistakes really come from people think it's not that big of an issue. They're not really listening to other people. They're maybe kind of out of touch with what the customer base is or what their audience is. And I think that that's what's important about making sure you have your publicity in order. You know, you're listening to what people are saying, so nothing can really sneak up on you. And if something does sneak up on you like that, you have a process to calmly handle it the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, so you brought up something earlier about uh, America loves, you said. And uh, it, it causes me to just, I've been thinking about it since you mentioned it. Nobody likes a cheapskate. I think you said America loves uh, this or that. And I was just kind of curious your perspective on um, do you think that the general public has become more cynical? Uh, because we now have words in our language we didn't have, say, 50 years ago, like spin uh, and things like that. And, of course, uh, we had the commentator who had the no-spin zone and, and all that. But what's your take on the general uh, mindset of, um, I guess it's all about um, forgiveness and acceptability and do you think people are more cynical now than they've ever been or how does that work in your opinion? I wouldn't say that they're more cynical. I'd say that people are smarter and now there are more vehicles through social media and do research and people love to research. They, they, 
it's not like they get joy out of catching you in something. Even when you can now get instant gratification from anything and everything has an app and you can get your food delivered to you and like you'll want for nothing because everything's in the power of your phone, we are still craving relationships. And that's the basic of public relations. It's about relationships and building them publicly. So I think the best thing that we can do is not focus on people being cynical or who wants to catch you in something or any of that. It's not a negative thing. And you know, when they say that all press is good press, that's not true either. You know, to avoid the bad press, you just have to be transparent and authentic. You have to treat your constituents, your customers, your audience, like you would your best friend. You know, you don't have to let them in and know everything, your deepest, darkest secrets. But if you have an open and honest conversation with them about everything, the good news, the bad news, the in-between, those are the kind of brands and companies that people glom onto because they want to, people are desperate to feel a part of something. And when you treat them with a, with a great relationship that makes them feel almost like they're one-on-one -on -one in a relationship with you, you're going to go very far. And so I got to ask you about this one line in your bio here, just as we're uh, coming to the close, but assisting them to feel more confident in their clothes. What, what services do you offer that, that speak to that? It's a little bit of wordplay and it goes both ways. It focuses on the public relations that I do because there are so many people who are in roles that think they have to be stuffy or they feel like their creativeness is trapped because they have to position themselves one way for a customer. And so by helping them figure out how they want their customers to think, feel, and talk about their brand, I help people feel a little more comfortable in their clothes or their role. But I also, after mm, over two decades in PR, traveling all the time, going to events, it's really hard to find things to wear. So I am in the, in the initial stages of launching my own line of dresses. I'm a dress girl. So I'm in the initial stages of launching my own line of dresses to make women in their upper 30s and 40s feel more comfortable, but have something to wear that's easy to take care of, looks amazing and easy to switch up, whether you're doing child drop off, going to yoga, working or having date night. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, listen, I've got a standard list of closing questions I ask every guest that comes on the show. So uh, there's 12 of these. I'm going to shoot them to you in rapid fire succession, and you just give me the answer that comes to mind. Okay. All right. Best memory that comes to mind for you? Um, just running around as a kid, wild and crazy in North Dakota. Number one hero in your life? You know, I have to say my husband, he's ridiculously smart and just so kind and giving. What's his name? His name is Kenny. What does Kenny do? Kenny's in financial services. So I'm the creative one with words and he does all the math for me. I see. All right. What's the top value you subscribe to? Loyalty. Who's the most important person in your life? Uh, I have a dog. I call her the chief operations officer and she, I'm going to go with her. <laughs> what was the chief operations? What chief operations officer? Oh, I see. Okay. I have dogs are big in my household too. Uh, what's your uh, favorite thing in the world? Dr. Pepper hands down. Can't live without it. Uh, what's your favorite food? Pizza. What do you like on it? Pepperoni or just extra cheese. Okay. Most beautiful place you visited? I'm going to say home. I'm going to say North Dakota. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Oh, this is a tough one. Success in one word. A calm. 
I think, I think when you're successful, everything is calm. You're happy with what you've done. You're happy with what you achieved. No regrets. You're just calm. So I want to ask you the legacy question. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a kind and gentle person with a very big heart who was extremely loyal and helped others. What's the best advice you would give a young KJ? Have more patience and never give up. What's your favorite sound? The doorbell when they're delivering food. And uh, finally, what's the best lesson you've learned that you could pass on to us today? Oh, the best lesson that I've ever learned is that it's never a failure. It's always a lesson. People are so afraid of failing. And I think that if I have kids one day, I'm going to sit around the dinner table every night with them. um, And I'm going to ask them what they failed at that day. And if they can't tell me one thing that they failed at, I'm going to encourage them to go try harder. Because I think from our greatest failures come our best lessons. Wonderful. Uh, We've been visiting with K.J. Blattenbauer. K.J., tell everybody how to find out more about you and what you do. Sure. You can find me on my website at kjblattenbauer.com, and that's K-J-B-L-A-T-T-E-N-B-A-U-E-R.com, or by following me on Instagram at kjblattenbauer. Well, listen, I'm so glad that you made time to visit with us today. I learned a lot. I'm sure that our audience learned a lot. I'm so glad you're my friend, and I hope we get to work on a project together someday. I hope we do, too. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. K.J. Blattenbauer, everybody. I'll have your uh, business and leadership lesson next on Better Than Before. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Coming from Kelly Blue Book's most trusted brand for four years running. The Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. University Subaru, your locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and leading a team brings with it, as you probably know, a number of challenges and can feel like no matter what you do, somebody's going to be hacked off, somebody's going to be PO'd, somebody's going to be unhappy. So if you're going to succeed as a team leader, what are some of the qualities that are going to be essential to your success? Here are just a couple. Number one. Great active listening. So in my opinion, someone who's awesome at leading a team will inspire others to listen well by example. If you want others to listen well, then you have to be someone who listens well. Good eye contact, 
some repeating of what you've heard just to reiterate and make sure that you're clarifying what is being said and that you're understanding and there's alignment in the discussion and in the conversation. These are all great things to do as an active listener. So number one is great active listening. Number two, treating each individual fairly. Not treating everyone fairly, which some people might interpret as treating everyone equally. Uh, I do not. I don't think you can treat everyone equally, but I do think you should treat everyone fairly. Um, You've probably seen this in sports. Not all players... Uh, have the same amenities. Not all players have the same salaries. Not all players have the same benefits. But the manager of the team does try to treat them fairly, even though they're not treated equally, right? So number two, treat each individual fairly in all your dealings. Number three, have a very clear direction. Before giving instructions, make sure you, the team leader, has a very clear idea on the direction that you want to go in. Make sure you're not groping around hoping something takes shape or you're waiting for something to happen or you're figuring out as you go that's equivalent to riding in the back seat and someone else driving having no idea where they want to go. That's very frustrating. So number three is... You need to have a very clear direction. Number four, you need to be able to articulate and give very clear direction. So can you clearly articulate the direction you want to take your team precisely and very succinctly and very clearly? Remember, there are people following you. Have you ever pulled out of a parking lot and you were going to follow somebody and they just ran off and left you? And then you're like, oh, man, now I don't know exactly where I'm supposed to go. Well, as I pointed out in point number three, the people following along and the cars behind you do not want to feel like you're trying to find the place yourself. They want to know you know exactly where you're going and you'll go at the appropriate pace that they can follow you to the destination. You won't buzz through the light uh, or you won't make a, a turn on two wheels through a light while you're trying to beat the yellow. No, your intention has to be to stay within eyesight of the people behind you so they can follow your lead in your direction. Number five quality of awesome team leader is good decision-making ability. So you ask yourself, how good are you when the chips are down? How good are you when the pressure is on? Can you clearly identify the 30% of your decisions that you'll get right and how important those are? Hopefully the 70% of your decisions you will get wrong will be allocated to very small and inconsequential decisions. Number six quality, strong, genuine interest in people. The influence loop begins with caring about people and taking an interest in people. Remember, you have to learn to influence people and manage things. A big part of leadership is influence. People don't like to be managed. They don't like to be organized. They don't like to be manipulated. They don't like to be controlled. But they will allow themselves to be influenced. And the only way to have a real strong influence with people 
is if you're very much interested in them, in their careers, in their life, and in their outcomes. And number seven, no hoarding. Have you seen that show about the hoarders where they're just stacking stuff up in their houses? It's disgusting. So is leaders who hoard things and don't give away things to members of their team. Share your knowledge freely. Share your experiences freely. Share your thoughts freely. Share your ideas freely. Share your opinions while at the same time being open to hear their opinions also. Remember the give-get principle. I've talked about it many times on this show. In order to get something, you have to give something. So your contribution is all your ideas, all your opinions, all your experience, all of your knowledge. Give first in order to get back later. Here's the bottom line. Team leadership is challenging and rewarding. It's probably one of the more difficult things you'll ever do, but it probably pays off better than anything you'll ever do. Doing a few simple things like these seven at an exceptional level can make a huge difference to the results and success that you and your team would like to aspire to. That's our show today. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Thanks for listening today. It's a nice gift that to know that you're along with us for the ride every single week. And I hope you got a lot of value out of what we had to share today. Follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and follow the company at ClearVisionDEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, don't you dare forget that no matter where you go, there you are. And everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.